all of my kids and my husband and I were all really hard workers. We've worked always. No one gave us any money. We supported ourselves. We've built our businesses. We built our careers. And we did it through hard work and perseverance and I think kindness and respect to others. New York born, Hollywood stylist, creator of the first expert management agency, a trend spotter and teacher, and co-founder of Mum's charity, Your Mum Cares, is this week's guest, the irrepressible and inspirational Sharon Feldstein. Leaving her beloved New York aged 19, Sharon forged a career in styling after earning an early break in costume design on 70s hit TV sitcom Taxi. Never looking back, Sharon became a Hollywood stylist known for her trend-spotting ability. In the late 90s, she created the global trend of sparkle phone covers before moving on to create the first expert management agency. Combining her strong sense of justice with her belief in showing up and an action-taking attitude to life, Sharon has used her position as mother of Jonah Hill and Beanie Feldstein to partner with Patsy Noah, Adam Levine's mum, and Taraya Joseph, Alicia Keys' mum, to create Your Mum Cares, now on a mission to help the most vulnerable children by raising awareness and funding for organisations focused on child mental wellness. Sharon's next chapter is well underway. Buckle up for this fun and relentless ride through the life of Sharon Feldstein. Okay. Okay then. So Let it rip, buddy. Thank you very much for being on the show, Sharon. I've been looking forward to this interview for some time. Wasn't sure it was going to come off in <laughs> coordinating time between LA and New York, but here you are in Neuhaus on this thank fine Monday morning. Thank you for having me, Mark. Well, thank you. And thank you Wait, very your name m- is Mark, right? It is Mark. Yeah. Oh, okay. no, no, it's I'm really Maria. Bad with the, Maria. I'm really bad with names. <laughs> well, I just wanted to make sure before we did the entire exa- podcast exactly, that I had yeah. your name right. Um, first of all, we have to say thank you very much to Colby Gaines for connecting us. Yes, I love Colby. Colby so sweet. That's one of my old lives. We worked together in one of my old careers. Well, we like to normally start the interviews by diving into your childhood because the, okay. it's always really interesting to understand where someone came from and how it affected their journey. So maybe we can just start with where you were born. I believe it was Long Island. Okay, so I was born in Detroit, but I only lived oh. there for a beat for six months. Yeah. But it's so cool to be born in Detroit right now. That is. And since I'm a trend person, yeah. I was born in Detroit and that's the <laughs> truth. That's good. I lived there till I was six months old and then I moved to this magical little town called Jericho, Long Island, New York, of which I have 16 best friends. I'm 64 years old. Some of them I met when I was three months old. And there's eight of us that literally talk. We're on a group chain every day. We were happy. I mean, like how many people do you meet that just say that's not like Deepak Chopra that are truly happy? We were happy for 18 years. Wonderful. Sharon, I'd like to go back to yes, your Mark. upbringing and I'd like to understand a little bit more about the impact your father and your mother had on your upbringing and your sense of self, your identity and your sense of self-belief. So we were they were 1950s husband and wife. He took the train to work. My mother stayed home and looked beautiful all day. Okay. And then at three o'clock saw us, looked more beautiful, went out with her little girlfriends, you know, had parties on Fridays and they were madmen. They were madmen. Okay. And my mother was the quintessential um, mad woman character. And my dad had cigarettes at lunch and scotches and he owned a fashion, a chain of fashion stores. So he would take me to work because he had no sons at that time. And my mother and sister were stunningly beautiful. And I was the outcast right now. I'm completely, I love, I love the way I look, but you but, didn't, but you didn't feel, but I didn't, I, I know I felt visually like people felt sorry for me because my sister and mother were stunning. I mean, Audrey Hepburn meets Natalie Wood. That's what they looked like. I looked like Cher on one of her worst days. Okay. <laughs> so, so without being, without having Sonny and flipping my hair. Okay? I don't think Cher ever looks, uh, I can't imagine Cher on a bad day. Well, I'm, that was me though. <laughs> it wasn't her. She always looked good. 
um, I, I didn't feel like I fit in, but I fit in with my father because my father said, you know what? You're smart and you're funny and you can do anything you want. And in fairness, he did not say I was beautiful, but he gave me every other tool so that when I was in my 20s and my looks came into fashion, like big hair and big eyes and exotic and long, nice legs and, you know, flashy, I was like, wait, I remember this moment and I'm going to say it because it's might sound slightly conceited, but I'm going to say it. I remember saying, wait, you can be smart and funny and then also be pretty like this is like a superpower. Like, yeah. this is great. I've always had smart and funny. I've always worked hard. I've always thought of a way that I could succeed. But when I realized that my looks, my like figure was a certain way and my looks were in fashion, I would just have to walk into a room and I didn't have to do anything. And I'm like, this is crazy. So I never gave up on my smart and funny. My visual was, you know, I still, I'm very visual. I, I love looking a certain way. As you guys know, because I've now changed seats in this podcast 16 <laughs> times and said red jacket, no red jacket, too shiny, not too shiny um, enough. And we said red jacket, red jacket. You said red jacket, <laughs> like Red Rover. But my mother, you can't get you can't get what you were brought up with out of your head when you're told. I mean, you try and you try. And, you know, I apologize to my kids in advance. Anything I brought over from that of you have to look a certain way, you have to do this. Because let me tell you something. What you have to do is you have to be kind mm -hmm. and you have to be funny and you have to be inclusive and you have to be happy with yourself. So let me ask a question about your father. I mean, there must have been something in his upbringing that inspired him to be the father he was. Can you just talk a bit about? I don't know if that's the case. I could just tell you that my grandmother was the matriarch of the entire family. My grandmother ruled the roost. So he grew up with an incredibly strong mother. Mm -hmm. So maybe he wanted to have an incredibly strong daughter. Uh. That, that, that would be that my best sense. guess. Yeah. And I am the matriarch of my family right now. So I took over for her, for my nanny. Uh, yeah. Okay. Could you just uh, give us a little insight into the impact and the role your mother played in your upbringing? So my mother is this beautiful, I mean, when we'd go in elevators, people would think she was Natalie Wood or Audrey Hepburn. So she was stunningly beautiful and little, tiny and petite. You know, I, you know, I was way bigger in, in my persona and what I thought, I, in my head, I think, and my daughter always laughs at me, I think I'm like 5'10 and I can't fit in a seat on a plane. Like, I'm like, I'm so big. I can't get into this seat, but I'm 5'4 and I'm pretty small. So, um, but I just feel like I'm big. And my mother was always small, but perfect. And she was lovely and very madman and a 50s housewife, did not have a career at, you know, at that point, was raising the kids she didn't really even cook, to be honest, I'm not gonna lie. But she took us shopping and she made sure we looked good and she got us our hair done and she cared about us and she loved us. So I felt very loved by both of my parents, but I felt adored by my father. And I think when I- when That I, was palpable, you remember, this is something- Oh my God, my feel. father, I remember, everybody knows. I mean, you know, he used to call me sugar. I mean, like my father was like my one of my best friends. He was very young, he had a joie de vie and I have everything that he has. He taught me resilience and a love of life and an appreciation for life. And you can do anything you want, Sharon. I remember when I was offered a job teaching at FIT, it's a long story, but he said, of course you have to do it. You have to do it. You can do anything you want. They're gonna love you. Everybody loves you. They're gonna love you. And like, when you grew up hearing that, which I hope that mm -hmm. I did for my kids, I mean, I, I, I'm sure Beanie would tell you that because she 
just said it in a speech. So when she got an award, she she did say that. Um, so I I believe in my kids and my dad believed in me. And my mom, I don't know what she believed in because I'm not sure she believed in herself. She wasn't brought up as empowered. She was brought up more like the son, her brother was the special one and she was the daughter. So it, in fairness to her, it wasn't really her fault. Uh, your father clearly gave you a sense of self-belief and encouraged you that anything's possible. But you could have gone in many different directions as a child, running the business. You could have gone off to university and gone and done uh, accountancy. But you chose... What? The, I, well, I'm, you just saying, I'm saying possibly. In a quantum world where Im there's parallel universes, Impossibly. you might have won... Just, just think about we it. We haven't gotten to my study habits yet. Okay, okay. so... Uh, but let's, but let's, I'd like to understand this, because this, you, you're obviously a very vibrant, creative, imaginative person. Where did that start? Where did you, when did you first sense that you well, had I, I, I felt like I visually was different than other people. I don't mean the way I looked. I mean, my choices of clothing. Well, you can see, yeah. Yeah. So my dad owned 50 stores when I was growing up and I worked since I was 14 because everybody else was like a cheerleader. And obviously I've explained to you that I'm not an athlete. I didn't look like a cheerleader. I didn't, you know, in those days, everybody was teeny, teeny, tiny. And I just was different. So I was like, I love my father's store. I love fashion. I used to wear purple and green and all sorts of things. People thought I was just crazy. As a matter of fact, I've been asked to write a paragraph in a book, a little section in a book, and the book is about mental wellness, mental illness. And my paragraph starts off like everybody told me I was crazy, and I love it. Like because that to me is a compliment. I'm not just average. I'm not, you know, what is crazy? Crazy to me is 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 not what crazy is when you think of a, a mental institution or or something like that. But so my dad, I used to work in the stores and I used to watch everybody come in and out. But this is a great story. So I'm glad you asked that. My grandparents lived on 8th Street and 5th Avenue in Greenwich Village, which was at the time nobody's grandparents lived there. They lived in Brooklyn. My grandparents were way ahead of their time and they're looking out on the park. And I was allowed to walk on 8th Street in the village. Mm -hmm. I was allowed to just go up and down the block at like 13 or 14 years old. And there was a straw called Patricia Fields. Now, I don't know if you guys know who she is, but she's the designer of Sex in the City. She's an amazing designer. If you ask me like my fashion, like idol, I would say her because of her wrists, not because of the clothes I'd want to wear, mm -hmm. but because of the way she sees things. I love the way she, she sees things. So I went in once by myself. See, that's also, I'd go by myself. And I went in and these very tall women like took me under their wing and they're like, wear this, honey, and let's do your makeup and let's do this, honey, and let's do that. And they would dress me and do my makeup and they were so loving and so kind. And it took me two years to realize that they were um, cross-dressers. They were transsexuals. And they were, they were like, they were like, I'm like, these are men. I'm like, for two years, I've been like, Sally's been doing my makeup and Harriet's been picking out my clothes. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I'm like, I just thought this is the coolest thing ever. And I want to be just like them. So they told me you can do anything you want. I mean, everyone told, everyone that I and with but that was don't tell me that was the beginning of your cross-dressing phase no <laughs> uh, but i'm for all for anything that's yeah, my beginning of anyone can do whatever they uh, want and there's no judgment yeah but that's at the heart of who you are you embrace diversity Ugh. and welcome it and celebrate i it. i i am anti non-diversity <laughs> how about that i think non-diversity like equals that. boring equals that beige yeah, wall but it over goes, there but it goes back to what you're saying when someone says you're crazy you go yeah I mean, quirky Thank you. and indifferent. Yeah, I want to be that because it's individuality. Yeah. It's your own personality. And if yeah. you, you don't want, like say, who wants to fit in? My father, you know, people say, do you think out of the box? I'm like, my father never told me there was a box. Mm -hmm. Like uh, what box? Yeah. 
you know, edit. What kind of edit? You know, like I'm working on boundaries though. I am. No, I am. It's not <laughs> you're fine, easy. You're finally going, all right, maybe you have to yeah, dial it back a bit. At some point. No, no, I, I do have boundaries. Now. I'm teasing you, but I have boundaries. I, by the way, everything I do, I'm kind of playing with you because my daughter says I'm the most manipulative person she's ever met in her life for good. <laughs> for good. It's not yeah, but, for personal yeah. gain. Mm-hmm. So it's like to achieve what I need to achieve for the people I either represent or charity. Well, play away. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about your, well, you mentioned you had siblings uh, and I just want you to, so you've got I have a sister about that's, your sister. I have You're a sister that's with? three years younger. Okay. And then I have a half brother um, who's sweet and I see him a couple times a year. And then I have a, She's a stepsister, but was adopted by my dad, who we are fairly close. But she's, you know, she's so much younger than me. She's 47, and I'm 64. You mentioned at the beginning you have 16 friends, and you're in touch with them every day. I would say there's eight of us that talk every day or every other day. Mm -hmm. And there's an extra eight that are like, I don't want to call them the B-cast, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) co-stars. I won't name them. But (laughs) there's the A players know who they are. The B players know who they are. They're happy to be in the group. Yeah, I'm sure they are. But what, I mean, that's amazing because of life you've lived and the journey you've been on to remain loyal and friends with people like that, say something about you, but it also must say something about the the relationships you built and the life you lived in those times. It it says something about the way we were brought up, but it also says something about life because let me tell you what I think about life. Life is all about relationships and it's all about connections and it's not about who you know, it's about who they are and what kind of people they are that you know. Mm -hmm. It's not... Is this one famous? Is this one rich? Is this one a nice person and they happen to be rich? Is this one a funny person, but they happen to be famous? It's not at all. And my friends are quality people and we are there for each other for everything. And I think, especially like I have a couple of famous kids and a famous godson, they're all friends with their friends that they started out at the beginning. I led by example with that, I will say. And they can't get away with anything with those people. Like my friends are so mean to me like, it's like, I can't, like, even have, like, an inch of, like, well, they're like, come on, stop. They'll call you out. Oh, yeah. all day long. That's well, that's just, good. But yeah. that keeps you grounded. Yeah, and I call them out, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They're great people. I'm lucky. Can we get on to your education? Sure. And your My minimal experience? education. I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Well, it would be quick, then. So, I went, so to American, went- I went to American University in Washington for a year, and then my husband, who was my boyfriend, was in New York. So, I transferred. You met him in New York? Or you no, met no, no. I met him. Oh, in a whole... This is like a story I probably shouldn't tell in 2019. I met him at summer summer camp. I was 14. He was 18, which uh-huh. is illegal. <laughs> but I mean, it's not illegal to talk to someone. What's summer, summer camp? Indian Head. Oh, Indian Head. I've yeah. been there. Yeah, yeah. it's lovely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Great, oh, ama- oh, amazing place. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, a couple of the kids went there and then Beanie didn't go. So, but um, that said, I met him when I was young and then we kind of like went our own way. You know, we always kept in touch and then I went to college and then... He went back. He lives in L.A. He was at camp. It's a long story, but what was the question? So you went, let's just go, you started out in Washington, but you came to New York to fashion to go to fashion institute. institute. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What drove that? Well, because I love fashion. Yeah. And and my boyfriend was in New York. So I went to FIT. Mm-hmm. I transferred because my boyfriend was here and because I loved fashion. And why was I going to a liberal arts school just because everybody else did? Uh-huh. So that started my journey of like, I don't care what everybody else does. Yes. And that continued my journey of, Crossdressers and you know being super being around everybody and everything and anything goes. And your father and, must have been really happy. He was really happy. I was working in his stores. I was closer to him. Yeah, he was happy. My mother was happy too because she lived. You know, they had divorced at that point. And it must have been an extraordinary. It must have been an extraordinary time in New York. 
with you know what i was only there a year and then i moved to california uh-huh. and i was not very um i didn't go to studio 54 i didn't do any of those things yeah. i was very goody goody believe it or not i was not i was afraid of everything yeah. like i went through all of college i never smoked pot like i just i was i never drank uh-huh. i didn't drink till i was 50. oh my goodness wow yeah i love it 14 yeah. years <laughs> 14 <laughs> years and a couple of tequilas later no I, I don't drink very often, but I, I didn't, mm. I don't like it. I don't like the taste. Um, I'm pretty holistic, so I'm not, I don't do drugs. Like, I just don't, I don't do that. I mean, I know that, like, marijuana, like, and all of that's in right now for, like, medicinal purposes, yeah. and I'm fine with that, but I don't do it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Uh, tell me about, you're there a year, you went to L.A. What drove you to L.A.? My husband said, if you want to marry me, I'm going back to L.A. I hate New York. And if you don't, fine. And that was a very non-how-I-believe-now following the man Mm -hmm. to where he was. I I was 19 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. So I went to L.A. And um, when I got to L.A., I realized there was no fashion business in L.A. I'm going to segue into my career. Yeah, okay. So Because or else we'll be here forever. I'm 64. We don't have time to do all this. So we got to L.A. And he had this career. He's building a career as a business manager with entertainers. So he's in the entertainment Mm -hmm. business. And I got a job in a store selling hosiery. And I'm like, what the F? I'm like, I'm into fashion. I'm not like beige brown, cocoa brown, cocoa dark brown, light brown, black. I'm like, what am I doing? I got to get out of here. Fast forward, my husband represented Mary Lou Henner, who's one of my best friends. from Taxi. Yes. Yeah, and, and introduced me to her. And the costume designer was male. And the cast was male mm-hmm. before Carol Kane came yeah. on. And she said, I want Sharon to do my clothes. I love her clothes. Because I came dressed crazy to uh-huh. the lunch. We are still best friends. I was just at her birthday dinner Saturday night with my daughter, who's best friends with her son. And um, that was my first break into Hollywood. And I was the luckiest person in the world. I literally became the costume designer of Judd Hirsch and Mary Lou Henner on Amazing. the hit show Taxi. Wow. And every week I would read this what script year and was say- this? Was this? Because it kicked off around 1978, didn't it? I would say 1970, I got on in 1979, 80, yeah, something like that. Start. I was like the last three years. So, because the first two mm. years she didn't have any like power because then it became a hit show so yeah. she could say, I want my own costume designer. And then Judd got jealous, mm. so then he hired me. That's a whole story. I'm not going into the Judd Hirsch story. We'll do that another time. So, because I have a whole story about everything, but it was amazing because mm. I got paid to read a script that made me laugh, watch Andy Kaufman being carried in I'm as Lotka in character on a stretcher, meeting, I mean, Danny DeVito. Mm. I mean, come on, Tony. I mean, the greatest- yeah, Chris, Chris Lloyd. Yeah. Oh, but he was so sweet. Yeah, and Carol, great. Mm-hmm. I got to do that, read this script. Every Friday night there was a party and get paid. <sighs> I mean, it was so a I, joke. I'm just going just gonna to go back because you said this moment that you got hired. It seems to be one of these great serendipitous moments in well, your career. Well, that's your favorite word, serendipitous. It is. It's a, but, it's a, happy, okay, it's Mark, a happy accident. Uh, it's a happy accident. Okay, Mark, anything you want to say it to me, it's your podcast. It was, okay, it, so it I'm not going to argue with you. But what I am going to say yeah. is what you're going to like about this mm-hmm. is what I'm going to say is until you bring this up, I don't think about these things. So I am going to think about it. I had no experience. I went into this petrified. I didn't know how to dress people for TV. There are rules. That's why we've been talking about this red jacket yeah. for the last hour. You don't wear red on NBC. Certain things strobe. Certain things make an actress not look good. You can't wear lycra. I knew nothing. And I did the best I could. And I just was fearless. But don't, don't you think that, that fearlessness might have led to you taking risks and doing things that went were unconventional and that's no, because what we- i i think that i'm not sorry but, but my bravado developed mm-hmm. it wasn't like that it when i was then. like 29 but what it was was 
you know what? I'm going to try my best. I know I have mm -hmm. better taste than all these people. I know how creative I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to learn from the people that says, you better not do the red. You better not do this. Take that jacket off. You know, it wasn't live. Mm -hmm. So we could keep switching it around like we just did. Yeah. And I just learned as I went along. So I was afraid inside, but I, I didn't tell But underpin underpinning all that was them. still your innate self-belief that your father injected in you that he gave you that self-belief. So you weren't about to quit. You just said, I'll find a way. Oh, no, I would quit. It was yeah, like exactly. I got won the lottery. I wasn't yeah. quitting. Uh -uh. After being a costume designer on television shows, mm -hmm. I became a stylist. And the reason I became a stylist was a little bit of ego was when you're a costume designer, it's it's definitely, especially now, way part, way more part of the story. Mm -hmm. You know, and to make a beautiful movie, you need the music, you need the cinematographer, you need the costumes. I always thought that. But in the day, the boss uh -huh. was the director, the writer, the star. Well, I had the stars in my hand. I used to say to them, do you want to wear what you want to wear or do you want to look good? Mm -hmm. That was my line. And Mary Lou would be like, I want to look good. I want to look good. And we would, our joke was like, here are the B's, the A's are coming out. Uh. <laughs> you know, like, you like the B's? I'm going to give you the A's. And that was our joke. So they trusted me. But when you're a stylist, mm -hmm. you're really, you and the photographer, the model is almost like a, I don't want to say a backdrop, but like the clothes and the model, I mean, and the photographer and the hair and makeup are the stars because mm -hmm. there's no talking. I mean, I watched it in Scotland, you know, watching taxis. Wait, you're Scottish? I'm Scottish, yeah. I came yeah. from Brooklyn. Ah! <laughs> well, I am now. I'm sort of almost at the 10-year mark, yeah. so I can call myself a New Yorker. But I remember watching Taxi, I think it was a, a Friday night on the BBC, and I certainly never thought and looked at the fashion at the time. But it, you must have been thinking about how do you create a look that's quintessentially New York when you're in L.A.? No. You didn't? It was no, just I'm a New you. Yorker. It was easy. So I used to bring out these coats and the... Ed Weinberger, Ed Period Weinberger, mm -hmm. who's I'm very close friends with his wife now. His he was one of the executive producers, and he's old school. He did Mary Tyler Moore uh, and all. That. He he says, Sharon, the coat's so ugly. Why are you putting her in a coat? Like then I'm like, Ed, it's winter in New York. You yeah. know, like Ed, what do you know about fashion? Like mm -hmm. you know, and that is I did but have that bravado at 27 year olds talking to that guy who was like an icon, mm -hmm. and I'm like, let me do my thing. Yeah. You know but you were in touch with what was happening on the street in New York at the time. You were able to bring it to the set of Taxi. I mean, I guess if you make me think about that, yes, but I was really just in touch with trying to keep the fashion. I gave Judd and Mary Lou a little bit of fashion without not allowing them to be cab drivers. Uh -huh. So that was hard for me because I like, like I wanted to be on Sex in the City. I wanted to be on Friends. Those were my dream jobs. That was, that was like current street clothes like I like to wear right mm -hmm. now. Those were my dream jobs. Period films, I can't do. I don't have the knowledge. I don't know how to sew. So that's why styling was organic because I could use the current mm -hmm. clothes and make everybody look as crazy as I want or as the photographer would let me. Uh, we interviewed a guy called Josh Holland, who's a, a celebrity fitness coach a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about how his education from experience has served him better than the education he did from courses. I must say that I have no education from courses. Mm -hmm. Zero. Yeah. I mean, I, well, teach, yeah, I teach at, at FIT. FIT. So No, I teach at FIT. Mm -hmm. What they taught me, I didn't learn that much. Mm -hmm. I was only there a year, and I was doing my own thing. Like my fashion show, everybody did crazy fashion shows. In order to graduate, you had to do a fashion show. Mine was back in the day, the day in the life of a jean and how you could wear a jean from bed to evening wear, which at that time Didn't nobody exist. did, yeah. did not exist. And I was like, they loved it. It was great. Like I was so happy that they loved it. But like that was in my head, like I bet that's going to happen. And then it happened. Uh -huh. So back to what you were asking me about the trends, or maybe we should segue. Yeah. So trends are for me like singing is for a singer. It's mm. in my, it's, I don't know how to explain it. You can't teach style. Mm -hmm. You can teach someone how to go to a great stylist 
or wear beautiful clothes that fit them. You cannot teach vision. Yeah. You can't, I, I can't sing, I can't play the piano, I, I can't draw, I can't act, but my vision is constant. I'm in constant, and it just comes to me. So the, the trend is like, should I go into my Sparkle cell phone? Yeah. Okay, so the Sparkle cell phone, I became a trend yeah. person because as a stylist, I, I we had these big bags as stylists, mm -hmm. right? And when we had the flip phones mm -hmm. or the Motorola, the Motorola's, yeah, yeah. And the Nikon, uh, the StarTex, Nokia, Nokia, yeah, yeah. Well, that, Nokia, that's where, Nokia didn't like flip phones. No, they, but they Nokia changed the, the covers. They, they did, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't find my hand, my phone in my handbag. So I said, you know what? I'm feeling crystals. I'm feeling them. Like I'm feeling color and sparkles. So I made my um, Nokia phone covers in yellow sparkles and pink sparkles and all that. And I would keep them in my bag and they would flash. And so I would put them out like this and everybody would go crazy. And I realized, you know what? I've got to get this trademark because I'm onto like a gazillion dollar thing. I couldn't trademark it because you can't trademark an embellishment, mm -hmm. but I sold, I would say that I had a very good year that year and a very good year the next year. Uh -huh. And Sex and the City ended their entire show with on the, on the bridge in Paris with Big calling you know, Sarah Jessica Parker who I happen to love, Chris, who's a friend of mine, and with my pink sparkle cell oh, Well, there you go. You, so did, there you, go. you did influence Sex in the oh, City. No, no. So you made it from I Taxi I to Sex in the, the City. Yeah. And back to my point, I do think you can be everything you want within reason. Mm -hmm. I got into Sex in the City, but I wasn't their costume designer. I wasn't good enough, and I didn't deserve to be. But And I'm not self-deprecating at all. Patricia Fields was a, is a genius. But um, I think you can get, like, if you want to be a basketball player and you're 5'9", you know, get yourself floor seats, work hard and buy the team. You know, like that's my line, buy the team if you want to be there. You want to have some control or, you know, get an after school thing and teach kids how to play basketball. Mm -hmm. I've read a bit about your willingness to embrace dares. Can you You know, just... that was the thing that I was, I, I did skim over some of stuff. Yeah. That's not really true. I'm not very brave. I know I appear brave, but a lot of it is bravado and uh -huh. a little bit of bullshit. Like, I mean, I'm not going to lie, but it's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> Like, it's a little bit of like, yeah, I could do that. I mean, I don't even take elevators. Mm -hmm. I, I force myself now. But I took a dare to teach from a friend of mine. And then my dad said, you got to do it. But I do not take any dare. Like, if it's a dare that's scary to me, mm -hmm. like, I would not jump off a bridge. I wouldn't skydive. Like, yeah. anything like that, no. If you give me an example of a but dare, I could tell that, you. Yeah, but why don't you give me an example? Why don't you challenge me well, with something just, and I'll let you know. I'm trying to understand. My sense is that you're very prepared to step outside your comfort zone within your sort of area of expertise. Well, I drive myself I drive myself crazy about how I can't do it. Like not today cuz like I've been doing a lot of like like stuff for your mom cares, so mm -hmm. I've been like on camera or being interviewed so I've gotten like a little bit better at it, but I'm always so nervous like the night before, but then I'm like, "What? I love this. Ask me more questions. This is great. This is mm -hmm. so much fun." But I comfort zone let me tell you why I can step out of my comfort zone. Part of what I do is I teach my assistants. And my assistant, Sylvie, who you've been dealing mm -hmm. with, she's she's very happy because I treat her like an equal. And I say, Sylvie, this is what you do in this situation. This is what you do here. If you're ever unsure, this is what you do here. But my best advice I could give anyone, I think, in the world when it comes to work or being in a situation is do not pretend to know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. You will look stupid and you will not learn. So I have been with very smart people and say, I don't understand what you're saying. I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't understand the question. What does that word mean? Mm -hmm. And I say that. And most people, that's what people are afraid to do. They're afraid to look stupid, but you're, 
I don't want to say you're stupid. It's mm. not a nice word. But you're not smart mm -hmm. if you don't ask. Yeah, that's a societal convention. I remember my first boss in advertising in Scotland said to me that the reason he was successful, he was prepared to sit at the end of a table and say, sorry, could you explain that to me again? So many people will stay quiet and pretend that they understand uh, in any situation. It's just part of the group behavior. Or they'll so, go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, for me, I won't. I might not interrupt a meeting. Mm -hmm. I might write it down and have mm -hmm. them explain it to me later. later. Yeah. yeah, But I will never yeah, say I, I understand what it is. Because you've, you're prepared to sort of do that, do you think that's something that you encourage in people around you? Well, first of all, as I said, I don't think I'm such a brave person no. about daring, but I expect people... Well, actually, let me go back, because you mentioned about taxi. You went into taxi without the actual experience. You hadn't done it. I had not, I didn't even so, know what a set looked I didn't even know I was supposed to be quiet. I used to jang my bracelets used to jangle, mm. and they go like, who the fuck is wearing, making that noise? And I'm like, oh, I think it's me. I have to take off my bracelets. But there's, So there's an example of you going into a situation where you didn't have the experience, you didn't have the knowledge, but you were prepared to go in there with a belief that you could actually deliver it. So you weren't bullshitting. You weren't saying, I can do this. But there was something... No, I think, so, well, I mean, I'm a correct here. I, yeah. I think I, I was maybe too young and too naive uh -huh. to understand what I knew I could do. What I know I can do is I can answer your questions right now because mm -hmm. I'm me and I know the answers in my head. You're asking me about me. Mm -hmm. So what I knew I could do is know how to dress people. I know fashion. I know what they should be wearing. I could break down a script and say, oh, it's winter in New York and it's six o'clock and what would she be wearing to go to this bar? That was easy for me. I knew how to do that. Mm -hmm. What I had to learn was continuity. Buy more than one thing if they're going to spill water on you. Like, I, I needed the technical knowledge, not the actual creative knowledge. That mm -hmm. I knew I had. We interviewed Chantal Martin, this amazing British artist that does live art. And she's finished doing the uh, interior of the New York Ballet. And she's got this, this, this phrase she uses, which is, you are you. And she spent a lot of time, said too many of us could worry about trying to say what we do is defining who we are rather than think about who we are as people, what the genuine sense of self. So what do you think makes you, you as Sharon, this individual character? I think that's a really hard question. I do think that what I am is also what I do mm -hmm. for me particularly, yeah. because what I am, I think I'm, I'm very charitable. I think mm -hmm. I care about other people, especially kids. And, um, I think life is unfair. I know life is unfair, and I try to make it a little bit more fair. I adore having fun. I My motto, and I changed my class from in Fashion Institute from styling to, I don't even know what the classes were called, to just show up. Mm -hmm. I never don't show up. If I wasn't here, back to your serendipitous, I wouldn't meet this person, I wouldn't meet that person. Life is about connections and, and people and people that you enjoy that either elevate you or challenge you, but mostly that love you and accept you for who you are. Mm -hmm. So back to those old friends, yeah. you know, they accept it's me true. for who I am. And my children, look, once a week, wherever our family is, if there's one of us or three of us or 10 of us, Sunday night dinner is mandatory. It's like, you don't get out of Sunday night dinner. I mean, not, you don't want to get out of it because let's face it, we're a hell of a lot of fun. So um, <laughs> what are you going to do? Sit in your room? <laughs> do nothing? <laughs> I mean, it ends early so everybody can watch Netflix, but you know. <laughs> Um, you know, we just show up, we show up for each other and we show up mm -hmm. to see what, what the surprise is. What's the next thing? Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that's interesting because you you've been many things. You've been a costume designer, stylist, on-air personality, trends expert, expert manager. I wouldn't call me an on-air personality. I've, I'm you've a person, been, I'm a personality called that, on, on no, sometimes I'm a personality that goes on air yeah, okay. for well, some things. Yeah. yeah. Let me, I'll, I'll edit that in that yes. you're a, a personality that goes on air to talk about trends, 
being an Back expert. Back in the day, it was trends and expert management. And, and now it's much more about And now it's your mom cares. Yeah. That's, that's almost all the only reason I go on I write. But to remain constantly sort of evolving throughout your life and your journey, I feel that there's the importance of curiosity in ensuring that you've remained relevant and meaningful and it being a superpower that allows you to sort of spot patterns, to constantly be in touch with the zeitgeist. What where does that come from? Okay, so I don't know when you say where these things come from. Sometimes I just feel like like where does your desire for mm. like chocolate over vanilla come yeah. from? So well, I don't know how that I don't know how to technically answer your question, but I am the most curious. I people call me nosy. You know, they've other names for me that are like whatever. But I love asking questions. I love knowing everything about everyone. I'm so curious about why does that happen and where does that go. I love science, but that's mm. that's something you would not know about me. We haven't gotten into my ADD and a little bit of dyslexia and my inability to focus. Mm -hmm. But had I been a great student, I would be a doctor. I adore science and I understand it. I have a very high level of understanding medicine, very high, that I can almost fool a, doc fool a doctor enough into really hurting someone. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> like I don't give advice. That's because it's then I don't have enough knowledge for that. But I really do understand. I, I love DNA. I love genetics. I love, I love medicine. By the I, way, just just a, a slight aside, I've seen. I don't know if you've read the book by Daniel Pink. I don't read. That was, oh, we're yeah, going well, to yeah, right, yeah, okay. get to that. Well, there's a great book by Daniel. <laughs> great book by no, Daniel no, Pink. it's part of my oh, thing. I haven't read yet, but I was with him. He's a behavioural scientist, and I was with watching him on Saturday at, uh, at I think it was NYU, and one of the things that takeaways from it, he said never. It was all about how time of day, midpoints and endpoints matter. Right. He said never. All the evidence, never ever have an operation. Go to the doctor or the hospital when? in the afternoon. I know because they're tired. Four o'clock is the worst time. And and they yeah. don't wash their hands. All the evidence yeah. is more people getting given the wrong prescriptions. You know, first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning yeah. and never. Right. Okay. Totally. We agreed on that. We can move on. Totally. So so back to curiosity. So you've got it. It's innate. It's in you. It's what drives you. And. I think you were also like, you were asking me some questions about being current and trends like yeah. that. Okay, so here's the thing. I can't not be current because to me, I mean, I don't know how else to explain it. I'm not, we talked about this a little bit before you started this official podcast. I don't do Botox. I don't do mm -hmm. wrestling. I don't do any kind of look younger treatments. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do get my hair blown dry and I do don't my roots. <laughs> yeah, I love makeup. I love the glam squad. Love, love, love. I used to like makeup. Love, oh good. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I, I knew you back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. That was me. Yeah. You're too short. They yeah. were taller. <laughs> my name isn't really Mark. Uh, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Maybe maybe that was you. Um, I, I don't know. You, you didn't have an accent though. You didn't have an accent. Well, I can change this. Okay. <laughs> we'll do that later. Um, you'll show me. So, I do, I do love, obviously I love fashion, I love clothes, I love jewelry, but I don't, I don't believe in making yourself into something you're not. Mm -hmm. I believe in taking yourself and then having fun with it. Like when I used to teach classes on fashion and trends, I would always say, everyone would say, don't buy the trend. I would say, you gotta buy the trend, buy one. Mm -hmm. Buy one, don't spend a lot of money on it. Feel current, feel good when you're on the street. If you like the way you look in it, Everyone else is going to like the way you look in it. And if you don't like the way you look in something and you're the most stunning, you know, high-powered model, you're not going to be able to pull it off unless it's a job. Mm -hmm. And I believe that people should, for me, the trend is what makes life exciting because it's cyclical. Like, what are you eating at this restaurant? Why is sushi popular now? Why are we vegan? Why is Air One, the grocery store, which I love, of choice in LA? Why do people not eat carbs, why are they intermittent fasting? Well, it's the same thing with clothing, with hair. The only trend I'm not all for is 
putting um, toxins into your face uh-huh. to make yourself look younger. I, I don't, I'm not, it's not, I'm not a fan. Yeah. I want to sort of segue into expert management, um, something you did and how that relates to Trey. How do you go from style and styling and fashion okay, into so expert management? That's a really easy answer for me. Because, so when I was a stylist and I created the Sparkle cell phone, I was literally like infamous for a moment and all the girls that loved me and I did the spark, Sparkle microphones. I did the whole, I went the whole nine yards. So when that trend left, people were like, what's the next trend? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I, like, I have to feel it. Like, it doesn't just happen. It's not me following someone on a street. It's not me looking at a fashion magazine. It's me thinking in my head, what's the next trend? So I said, the next trend is going away from people like Paris Hilton, with all due respect, mm-hmm. telling us what to wear or what to eat and going towards an actual nutritionist telling us what to eat and a doctor telling us what we should do for our health and a stylist telling us what we should wear. And I'm like, I'm a stylist. I look mm-hmm. good. Maybe I should be on TV. So I, this is what Dared. you're confusing with the dare. <laughs> no, no, this no, is what no. you're confusing. It's a very long convoluted story and it's kind of a little bit mean, but I tried to find a manager. There were no managers for experts at the time. Mm-hmm. Now there are tons. But before I started expert management, there wasn't any. So my friend managed models and um, uh, hair and makeup people. And she said there was a guy in New York that had a crush on her. And if I wanted to go on camera with Diane Sawyer and, <laughs> and Robin on Good Morning America and do a style segment to see if I could be like make my own little segment, she could get me on if she went on the date with this guy, which I won't say his name. So <laughs> she went on a date with him and he got me it. on the show. And I did this segment and it was so much fun and I loved it. But on the way back, I thought like, you know what? They told me to cut my hair. I have the emails, I say them. They told me to cut my hair. They told me to whiten my teeth. And I'm like, you know what? This is like not what I want to do. Let's forget that. Mm. So I came back and I thought, you know what? No, this is where, this is what you want to know. This is what I know you want to know. <laughs> I thought nobody, tell me. <laughs> nobody manages experts. Uh-huh. Why not me? Why don't I open a company called Expert Management? The worst thing I could do is fail. The best thing I could do is be on trend. So I opened expert management. Every agent in Hollywood loved me because I would take the client, the potential client, build them, work really hard. Then they would take them and get them a show. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to do any work except once they were elevated to a certain point where they wrote a book, they've been on Dr. Oz, they've done that. So that's what I did. And I got a, you know, I worked at a financial arrangement for that. And then they would go to the agents and get their own show. I wasn't aware of it until we first spoke, and you've just had some incredible sort of experts that you've represented. I've had crazy, I've had crazy funny experts, and then I got super bored with expert management mm-hmm. because see, I'm, it's not on trend anymore. You see, uh-huh. this is what happens to me when something's not on trend anymore. But it still exists, though. There's too much competition. Ah, uh, because money. the likes of the I was the, the only one. Talent agents have now jumped. Oh on that my god! Now they have departments yeah. and this and that. No, no, no. And plus the fact, look at the competition with experts. Uh-huh. There's not. There's one Dr. Phil, there's one Dr. Oz, who's mm-hmm. a personal friend, and I adore him, and I adore his wife, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Um, and then there's all these other people, 8,000 hairdressers, 5,000 fitness instructors. It's not, my, it's not my jam anymore. Plus, it's not exciting to me. If something's not exciting to me, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm out. I'm out the door. I'm done. I can't mm-hmm. do it because I don't, if I don't have the enthusiasm and passion to sell it, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's a term I've... Um... I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast, and I'm not going to bastardize the, 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 the expression, the pronunciation of it. It's a Japanese term called uh, ikigai, and it's the intersection of what you're passionate about and what you're good at. Mm-hmm. And you seem to be always finding that. 
and everything you've sort of uh, focused on. Well, maybe that's why when you ask me if I'm afraid to fail, maybe I try to find things that maybe I'd be good at so I mm-hmm. don't fail. Maybe that's a subconscious thing that mm-hmm. I don't know that I do. But there's also, there's a, I think there's a, a connection. We interviewed, talking about ADD, we interviewed Ryder Carroll, who um, has written a book called The Bullet Journal. It's all about how you journal. Right. He, he suffered... Oh, I know. I, I started to bullet journal, then yeah, I got bored. Well, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, but he's... Uh, but he's but then AD... I got bored. <laughs> but exactly, yeah. but that's hilarious. Because you get all the colors and you get yeah, to do the yeah. tape and everything. Oh, I love that. I ordered 17 bu- bullet journals. I only did one. <laughs> oh, I did. Well, we won't tell Ryder that. Um, Why? Ryder, well, that yeah, was we'll good. Tell no, but I Ryder, them. No, but Ryder, Ryder sold I'd his love to ADD. Meet him. He's an amazing guy. Oh, I want to meet him. I'll connect you. I right, totally want to meet him. Maybe he could help me with my bullet journal. Well, he would. I mean, I, that's what I've said to him. because I I would so, love I think that. I think I boarded on ADD when I was a kid. No one spotted. Yeah. I'm definitely dyslexic. I didn't even know what it is. And me either. I didn't even well, know no it was dyslexic until this year. This year. It's now trendy. Yeah. Well, I told you I'm on trend. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Well. On the, just to sort of, yeah, now where was it going to go with Sorry. that ADD? Now, <laughs> see, this is two ADD people together. <laughs> you, were ta- you were talking about <laughs> the bullet nightmare. journal guy. <laughs> yeah, so he talks about the importance of passion. Passion is a passion. driver. Totally. Of curiosity. If you're not passionate, you're not going to be curious. So curious continues. And if to continue your curiosity in something takes persistence. And persistence is a characteristic that I think is important to you and a belief System. I've heard your son on a recent interview talk about his, his film that he released last year, which is in the mid-90s, and talk about the amount of drafts he went through and, and the importance of how and how he persisted through that. That's presumably a characteristic you have that infects the people around you, whether it's your assistant or your children. I'm very persistent when I need to get something done, mm-hmm. meaning like if I need money from you for my charity or something mm-hmm. like that, or I wanted to get one of my clients on a television show or a book deal. I am not persistent with myself. I get bored and I get- What do you mean persistent? Like, I mean, I'm not, how do I explain it? I don't have patience with myself. Mm -hmm. So if I'm supposed to, let's say, read your, okay, I got all the notes from you last night. 10 o'clock last night, Sylvie called me. Did you read the notes? No. Well, that was um, intentional. I wouldn't have sent them early because no, no, I thought no, no, you no, might no, have read no, them. No, but it's like, <laughs> I'm like, if I can't get through it for myself, mm-hmm. I know I can wing it, but I'll I'll do it if it's for somebody else. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Kind of a thing? Yeah, it does. If it's for like mm-hmm. my clients or my charity. Uh-huh. But I will, that's also- I will, I, I'm relentless. But you no, would... no, I'm not persistent. I'm relentless. Uh-huh. That, that's a better okay. word for me. That's oh, a better like word that. for me. Yeah, I'm a... relentless. Mm-hmm. I'm not persistent and I don't have patience to do things 9,000 times over. I don't. I would probably just say, like, Sylvie, could you do that, please? <laughs> Can you help me out but with that one? But if it's something Sylvie's like the star of this uh, podcast. She's going to be so excited. Guess well, what? Can I, I just say one thing? Can I just say one thing? I have assistance usually for a year, and this is what I say to them. You give me a year. I will teach you more than you will ever learn in any school. I will treat you like an equal. I will not make you work your way from the bottom to the top. I will prepare you for any boss. And then you can be on your way unless you decide you're so manly in love with me that you can't leave. In which case, I'll decide whether I'm... I think that's your new trend. It's, a, it's the Sharon Feldstein MBA. No, it's... Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I can give out degrees, but if you make it a year with me, you've done well. Yeah. <laughs> how, how far in is, is Sylvie now? Uh, like two months. Oh, <laughs> very much. She's, but she's amazing. I've had the most amazing... I can yeah. rattle them off. My assistants have gone on to do, do such amazing things. I'm proud of them. They're all like my children. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's something that you do not learn in a corporate. Like if you go no, with think... all due respect to the talent agencies or whatever, you know, you start in the mailroom, blah, blah, blah. Me, you start right here. And I'm not saying I have the knowledge that the agencies have, but I give whatever knowledge I have right back. And I don't treat you like you don't have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? Guess how I stay current? Everyone around me is young. Uh-huh. It's not, 
how I do it. It's by choice. Like I always want to sit. If I'm at a dinner party, I want to sit at the kids' table. Yeah, but I also say there's a there's a man. I've got a friend um, called Mike Coulter in the UK, and I worked in advertising with him years ago. And he set up the first. Um, he he created digitalagency.com in 1995, when he was at age 45. Um, before anyone was doing digital agencies. He then started doing social media in 2008, aged something like 55. And he had a great way of putting it when he was interviewed by the BBC. And he said, it's, isn't, it, isn't it something for the young, um, this social media and digital stuff? And he said, no, it's for the young at heart. I love I, social media. I live for and it. I think, but I think it's bad. So, but I think it's Yeah, of course. Too. And it's, we can, that could take it us down a different... It. Yeah, it could take us down a different rabbit hole. But you're... You say you surround yourself by the young, but I do think you've got you're, you're young at heart, regardless of that. I suspect even if you well, weren't. Well, I think that that's why they let me be in the room. <laughs> How exactly, about that? Yeah, I surround myself with them, but if I if they were bored with me, then I don't think mm -hmm. it would work, right? It's not. I don't hire them. I just hang out with them. I have a girl cave every uh, week or every other week at my 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 office is called the girl cave, and my daughter Beanie, who's twenty five, her friends that live in L.A. come whether she's there or not. And it's like a social evening. Sometimes there's a theme. The food, there's a th It would start out with The Bachelor and it ended up being just like what we would call in the old days, like a rap session, but right. like hanging out, like discussing their lives, their careers, what's going on. And I do like themes, you know, like uh, whatever, whatever's current in that week, I'll have like a cake that's based on the whatever's going on, if it's the Women's March or whatever. And um, we have dinner and we hang out. Ah, it's love called it. The Girl Cave. We even have a t-shirt designed by one of the artists. We're talking about your assistants. The spending time with you and just soaking up your knowledge and experience is also an element of the standards and values. And I want to talk about uh, the values that are important to you and how you pass them on, whether it be to the people around you and your assistants or your children. I feel like, like I, I sometimes believe that people say like, do as I say, not as I do. I do as I do, not as I say. I mean, I say a lot of things and I'd like everybody to do what I say, but but if I work so hard, so my assistant works so hard because she watches. And then my kids, were, all of my kids and my husband and I, we barely talked about him, we're all really hard workers. We've worked always, no one gave us any money. We supported ourselves. We've built our businesses, we built our careers and we did it through hard work and perseverance and I think kindness and respect to others. And relentlessness. And relentlessness, relentlessness. kindness, respect. Yeah. Well, each one of us has, let's say, diff different qualities, but kindness, relentless, respect. Mm -hmm. We work really hard. And while well, I do expect a certain level of work, but that's because I do it. So it's not like I'm going to sit in the kitchen and eat lunch while you work for 16 hours. That's mm -hmm. not how we do things. We all work. We work as a team. And I really don't like I can't or self-deprecation or whining. I really don't like that at all. I whine. But, you know, again, I'm the queen. Yeah, it's probably... <laughs> I'm the queen. They all call me the queen. They call me Shay. That's my nickname. They call me the queen. But now, um, one of my friends, Taria Joseph, who's Alicia Keys' mom, she gave me this jacket that Alicia, that Alicia made her company. It's like, I am the king, and that's what I wear now. I'm now the king. I'm the king and the queen. Basically, I'm both. I came across this great Prezi presentation. Oh, yeah. Um, have you used this term, Sharonisms? Yeah. So uh, let's just run through a couple of Sharonisms. Um, opportunity doesn't always knock. Sometimes you have to knock first. Yeah, that means you, just, you can't just sit in your room and wait for someone to call you and say like, hey, do you want to have this great life? Do you want to have this great job? Do you want to meet this great guy? You can't just sit, or mm -hmm. great girl. You can't just sit and wait for it. You have to, you have to go looking for it. If you want to be whatever, a zookeeper, it might be good to go to a zoo might be good to talk to a couple of zookeepers. I mean, it depends on what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that also is grounded 
in this curiosity and the willingness to throw yourself into situations you may be a little bit outside your comfort zone. So I think that's a, another element of that. My comfort zone, I get scared inside. I mean, I, I don't say yes to everything, but when I say yes, like I, I'm not saying like I go in and say like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be so great. I'm going to say like, I'm going to try my best. Mm -hmm. And if I fail, like what could happen? I mean, nothing terrible really. And hopefully I'll be okay. But I think when you inject that, that you talked about the importance of work ethic, when you've got that underpinning that and you've got a resilience and a preparedness, there's a, just quite an interesting cocktail. Um, Thank you. Have a sense of humor. Honestly, have a sense of humor. That's that's my religion. Mm. That is my religion because I laughter is the best medicine, which is a cliche. It's not a cliche. It's it's proven now, and and it's not a cliche. And if you if there is no joy and love, then what do you have? You have a business. You have a checkbook. You have money in a bank. That's very true. Style is born. It cannot be taught. Okay, that's my hundred percent belief. And you know, I know that my FIT classes do not like that, but I'm going to tell you right out. You cannot buy style. You can mimic style. You can, I said, hire a stylist. You could go to a beautiful designer and get a gorgeous outfit. You cannot teach style. I can teach you my style, like what I do and why. Like I, when I was younger, well, I guess today it would be good, good as well. I would never leave the house without what I would call a conversation piece. So I'd wear something so crazy. I remember people used to say to me, are you a mother? I would wear curtains as pants. I wore that's how I met that's a story that I could tell you when mm -hmm. you come up to my next question but so I always wanted someone to stop me so someone would say like where did you get like what does this mean okay so that's how I got this necklace got your mom cares which is my charity which we're going to talk about on another mm -hmm. podcast yeah. our people magazine uh, 30 women uh, changing the world because the people magazine editors said to me what is that mm -hmm. and that created the conversation so but wait back to the question you cannot teach style period the end okay. you can okay. teach you can teach voice but you're not going to be able to be on Broadway. So I can teach you to a point. That's it. Then you're on your own. Try not to make money a priority. I teach the kids this, and it's, that was a statement that I have to change a little bit. You have to pay your bills. So I'm not telling people to starve or you know, to, to you know, sacrifice food for their art. I don't believe in that, but I believe in sacrificing as much as you can and still surviving and living as healthy as you can, you know, and as safe as you can. And don't make money your priority if it's something you love, because the money will come if you love it. If, if, if you end up being good at it, hopefully you'll have a job or have your own company. And well, nowadays you can do anything you want. You can have your own podcast. You can have your own TV show. You can have your own clothing line. All you have to do is put it on Instagram. It's amazing. Opportunity is endless now. Uh, segues into the next one quite nicely. Limitations don't exist. Well, I mean, limitations exist. You know, they say too much of a good thing. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think there's too much of a good thing because I like good things, but I guess there are some, some limits. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd have to really think about that. Like, if you give me a... It's better if you give me an example or a question and I'll tell you what, whether I believe in that or not because... Well, let's, let's go back to your ADD. I mean, that's, that's something you've navigated without it limiting you in any particular way. But I think with my ADD, what happened was I was, when I was very young, I was, I kind of tested very smart. I read this book called um, Black Beauty. So and you do read books. No, yeah. I'm getting to that. Okay, I did. <laughs> and I was very young and I read this book and, and everyone's like, I don't know, I read way ahead of my, of my level. And then something happened in third grade and I can't remember what it was. And I 
I couldn't keep up with the, like after third grade, it was like, I found reading very difficult. I didn't know, we didn't know what ADD was. And then when I was doing my, um, you know, testing, like the standardized testing, I made a, I made a picture with my dots. I didn't answer the questions. Mm. I made like a thing I liked. And then they put me in a class for learning disabilities. And my mother's like, what is wow. she doing in that class? And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I belong here, but like it, maybe it's cause I did the picture. You know, they just, they took everything so literally then it wasn't, it wasn't talking to me. It was, it was just my, that test. And then I ended up back in, you know, regular classes, but I can't really read well. I don't read well. A book would have to grasp my attention and I'd have to be so focused on it. But, but sadly because of television and, and visual things and, um, the, the phones and Instagram, like it would really have to grasp my attention. So I know that one of your questions, I'll jump ahead, mm -hmm. was what was the last book that I read? So I was yeah, exactly, on a plane yeah. from Las Vegas home with my my beautiful daughter, Beanie, Beanie Feldstein. Look for her movie, Booksmart, coming out. It's coming out soon, isn't oh, it? Yeah. It's amazing. It's so funny. And she's beautiful and brilliant. And she is beautiful and brilliant on, on the inside as well as the outside, but the inside. And she read this book called Elizabeth Strout wrote it. My name is Lucy Barton. I'm just going to go like okay. that. And she read it on the whole ride home and she loved it. And she did it was one of the best books she's ever read. So when you asked me what was the last book I read, I could not think of one. But that's the next book I'm going to try to read is my answer. <laughs> All right. then. So we got we capture that. So Lucy Barton. And, and, I, and I'm saying to you that I'm obviously not illiterate. I absolutely can read. I had to read scripts for livings. Mm -hmm. But if something doesn't grab my attention, I can't stick with it. And that could be a limitation that people might think for mm. success. But for me, I force myself to do it when I need to. And when I don't need to, I just ask questions but or listen. Also, I mean, it's also the benefit of having uh, technology now, like Audible. I mean, I consume audiobooks. I don't have time and I'm not a fast reader. So I just can't consume books at the pace I need to, to stay on trend, let's say. So that's really useful. I also heard um, Simon Sinek, famous for that uh, Start With Why philosophy he has. I don't know what that is. Can you explain it to me? Yeah, Simon Sinek believes that um, brands, whether it's you as an individual or a, a personal brand or mm -hmm. any brand, needs to have its why at the heart of its proposition rather than worrying about what or how. And most brands sell themselves on what they do and how they do it rather than starting with why. So why so meaning like I'm like your mom cares is doing it because kids mental exactly, illness. Exactly. Yeah. What, we so your why kids. is really clear. Yeah. Your why is all about your purpose right now is what you're doing with your mom cares. Right. Your why when you were on trend with expert management was exactly what you described. Right. It's not the what or the how, it's the right. why. Well, I do the what or the how after the why. Well, exactly. But that's, yeah, how, that's, that's exactly what he says. Right. Yeah. You start with, he says, start with why. It's a, it's a great TED talk. It's worth watching in the 15 minutes. So he yeah. breaks it all down. It's called The Golden Circle. It's really good. Well, you'll send, you'll send it to me later yeah. and I won't read it, but Sylvia, yeah, Sylvia will queue it up. You watch me. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, he's, but he said himself, he said, I ADD. He never reads books. He gets people to read books to him and yeah. then explain it. And he asks questions about it. And that's my how assistants he read my emails to me. Because when I read them, like I jump over mm -hmm. the part like that was like like maybe the time or I get the time backwards mm -hmm. and I'm like, what? I, why didn't we do this? And like they're like, oh no no, you didn't read the, you didn't read the last sentence. Mm -hmm. I like that with news yeah. headlines. I see things on front pages of ma uh, magazines or on 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 websites. I have to read it twice because I the words juxtapose. It's yeah, really bizarre. Me too. Same. Um, give back. The final Sharonism. Oh well. I mean, it goes without saying. It's my mantra. The, yeah. Okay, I was on the board of a pediatric cancer and AIDS charity called the Neil Bogart Memorial Fund. And I was 27. I was the youngest person on the board. And at that time, I think the only, the second female on the board. 
and we work with kids with cancer and AIDS. It was a music business charity. And I've spent, I was the one that spent the time with the children in the hospital, the actual children, you know, a four-year-old with retinoblastoma, which means that she had like a eye tumor. And since she was born, she was blind. She died at four and a half. And she said, we need better medicine. And you know what? I've always given back, but that child, Katie, was a turning point for me. I visited her so many times and her family had, they didn't have the funds to be with her every day. And, you know, I was closer in distance to the hospital. And it's not something you can, one can do all the time. As a matter of fact, I don't know if we got to my hero question, but who do you admire or whatever? Yeah, I, I want to say, yeah. but I'm going to segue but, yeah, into it right yeah, now because sure. the people that I admire are the people that are of service all the time. I'm of service, but I also am of comedy. And I also am of picking out fun clothes and travel and, and doing creative fun work in my head. But there are people that devote their lives to taking care of other people or teaching other people or doctors or nurses. And yes, they get a salary, but they are truly of service to taking care of the elderly, taking care of kids, you know, that need physical help. I admire those people. I don't, I don't know how they do it. And I, I, I applaud them. I, what, you know, I, I just think it's, they really dedicate their lives, their whole lives to doing that. And that to me is incredibly admirable. Okay, well, let's jump into the quick fire questions. What principles do you stand by? I don't really have principles. No. Interview, <laughs> <laughs> uh, interview uh, over. <laughs> I, I think like do unto others as you'd want them to do unto you, which is not one that you might think I would come up with. But I think treat that's like kind of treat people with respect. Do you know that was the the most cited life principle or I can't remember how it was phrased in the year 2000 at the turn of the century people really? were asked across cultures cross creeds cross religions that. I just made it up I know but <laughs> that's what people said and it was universal because I you think I did not know yeah and, so there's um, hope for humanity I feel like I don't know if you'd call this a principle but like people are people and we're not really different and we're not really better or worse we're better at worse at certain things so when my friends will say to me like how do you do what you do I'm like how do I not? How do you do what you do? Even if it's like cooking and I'm not a good cook, you know, I don't know. I just do it. And, you know, I just participate. What are the principles? I, I'm going to wrap up because I think I've, you've, but I've taken out a lot from what you've said. And we'll do that as a recap at the end. What hard choices have you had to make um, that have been tough at the time, but turned out to be the right decision? Um, I guess my first hard choice was to, to move to California because mm -hmm. I was, am a diehard New Yorker and, that was a hard choice, yeah, and it, I think it turned out okay. Weird, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think it turned out pretty well. We haven't, and even, we haven't even talked about your husband. But yeah, I know. But. I, my joke, well, he doesn't like when I say this. <laughs> is, we've been married for 40, uh, hold on, how old am I? 60, like 44 years or mm. something like that. And I always tell people, and he says, it's so mean. I'm married, but it's not serious. <laughs> like, that's my joke. We're complete opposites. He's the kindest, smartest, loveliest man, and he totally believes in me and like my father, they're not alike at all, but like my father said, they both said, I'm smarter than them. <laughs> so that gives me confidence That's... too, yeah. Okay, where do you go to discover new ideas or where you, when you need space to think? Oh, I like that question. You know, people go like, oh, I go to the beach or I like, you know, forest bathe or I, you know, whatever, I meditate, which I do a lot of those things. Where I go is I, I live to walk, I love to walk, I power walk. So I walk and I like to see things I thought that maybe some people say like, oh, I love the ocean. It rejuvenates me. I love everything. 
which is why I am the way I am. Mm. So like if you put me in an, you know, um, an old area that might not be very attractive to other people that might have old buildings and maybe the streets aren't as clean. I might say like, look at that doorknob. That doorknob must be from like 1901 or like Mm. that door is red. That's the best red I ever saw. Or if I'm at a beach, it's like, that's such a beautiful beach. Or if I have a view or if I'm in any part of Europe. Like I said earlier, social media and technology right now probably is having a, a arguably a more detrimental effect on people's imagination, curiosity, and ability to sort of see things because everyone's looking down. And I mean, the fact that quite a few of the guests we've spoken to have said exactly the same thing. They walk, they get out, and they look around. Mm-hmm. And that behavior that's feeding your curiosity is something I think a lot of people in this world could do with, particularly in places like New York. When you mm-hmm. walk around the streets and all you're seeing are people... Heads and phones. Yeah, I know. I'm looking. And it's really sad. Um, uh, uh, one observation, you could jump between L.A. and New York. Surely walking around in New York is a lot more gratifying for you and feeding I your curiosity. I don't walk in L.A. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to say you, that must be frustrating to you. L.A. is a very isolated city unless you have people over. So we work out of my house. So I have Patsy, who's my partner, and your mom cares. And my se- we've been best friends since we were 17. She's Adam Vleen's my godson. She's his mom. And Sylvie, the, yeah. our assistant. Rosie, who ha- who's the CEO of our house, our two bulldogs. My husband comes in and out. The kids come in and out. My grandchildren come in and out. And that's my like little L.A. social scene. But I think L.A. is very isolating unless – I mean, I, people walk it's on the not, beach, but that's like the whole thing. Yeah, you, you see can the get beach up and like, that's Canyon, nice. It's quite nice like, as well. But it's yeah, not – there's not. But that's like, like a one-thing thing. There's not that, that – just give you the example you gave, the doorknob and looking yeah. at it. You That's just, what I'm saying. It's a one thing thing. Like it's an ocean. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, but it's an ocean. Yeah. It's not like, oh, the ocean is so blue or it's blue green. You know, like it's beautiful. It doesn't get old. I'm not going to say it gets old. It's stunning. But I like to I like to see new places. We didn't do whoopee. No, we, we're good. Uh, we're just coming. Okay. Hold your horses. <laughs> um, who are your influences and infl- inspirations? My influences and inspirations. My, I, was, I was very influenced by my father, who that people used to call Poppy Dick. Dicky, Dicky boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, fashion-wise, Patricia Fields, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Norma Kamali because she's so, she cares about the environment. And she also was very architectural and very, you know, in my day, very, I obviously, I love Coco Chanel. I don't know. I think that that was my fashion influences. I think, I know a lot of very successful females that I might recommend to uh-huh. you after. Work ethic, Mary Lou Henner. Mary Lou Henner, I mean, she's one of the smartest people yeah. I've ever met in my life in her memory. We'll get to that, but she's amazing. Um, I have a friend, Lisa Lick, that is at Live Nation now. She used to be at, I think, I don't want to get it wrong, Hasbro, I think it was Hasbro and and 20th Century Fox. She'd be, probably be thrilled that mm. I would think of her like that, but I always call her my own personal lean-in <laughs> because she's always, <laughs> she's had a, she has a great career. And then one of my best friends in Philly is uh, just started her own little kids' clothing business when she was young she didn't grow up with a lot of money and she had a successful little chain of clothes at clothing stores and and she has a charity and i'm impressed with her i mean doesn't have to be on the biggest grandest scale but you know she's amazing her name is janice and i guess i don't know biggest influences i, I don't know i think they're doctors and i don't know all their names no that's that's fine great answers who or what has made you reevaluate yourself i reevaluate myself every minute of every day Mm-hmm. There's no who or what. It's Sharon. It's you. Sharon makes Sharon reevaluate herself. Yeah, it's like cracking mm-hmm. that whip. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it. Who has surprised you most when you first met them? Whoopi Goldberg, who's one of my 
oldest best friends. And I met her on the lot at Paramount. I was wearing those pants that I mentioned that look like curtains. <laughs> and she, she came up you gotta, to me. You gotta, we got to get a shot of these pants. So yeah, I, I have my, them. My they still fit me. Okay, I have well, them. Can, can we get a selfie, please? Uh, I, they it? might be in L.A., <laughs> but ah, I'll, okay. I will do it for you. Okay. Um, no, they're amazing. I love them. <laughs> I still love them. They were my share pants. Um, so I love share. Um, so I was on walking walking on the lot at Paramount when I was working a taxi, and she literally said, she stops me and she goes like, I won't say, who the F are you and what the F are you wearing? And I'm like, oh, hey, you're Whoopi. Oh, my God, you're Whoopi. I was so excited. And then fast forward, I was doing a commercial on this private beach and in Malibu, and the director was very abusive, and I won't say his name, and he was almost making me cry. I was styling Shari Belafonte, who was also Jonah's godmother and one of my best friends, and we were doing this crazy stuff, and he was really mean to me. And Whoopi, it was her beach. She was walking down and she heard the guy yelling and then she saw it was me and she goes, curtain pants? Like that. And and I went, yeah, he's so mean. He's so mean. He's being so mean to me. And she went like this, you're on my beach. Close this now. And Sherry and I went up, had dinner with her. There was no Uber then. Had dinner with her. We got, I don't know how we got home. We got home. I invited her to my 30th, 30th or 35th birthday party. She came, a bowling party downtown. We've been close friends ever since. Wow, what yeah. a story. She surprised wow. me. She didn't surprise me that she was nice because I knew she'd be nice and I knew she'd be funny, but I didn't realize that she'd stick up for me and, and like like me and be my friend. Mm. I was so happy she was my friend and my kids still joke that like, I love Whoopi. I do love Whoopi. I love her, period, the we end. We all love her now, that's wow. for sure. She's right. the best. That's amazing. Great, that, great. Best answer we've had to that question. Um, Thank you. I knew you'd um, like it. It's yeah, true. We, we do. It's amazing. And I still want to see those pants. You're not off the hook. Oh, <laughs> I will be modeling them. I'm proud that I fit me. Okay. Yeah, we, want so, yeah. a, we want a video, not just. Yeah, because yeah, they move. Yeah. Instagram they story. Move. Instagram story. Sure Thank you very much. Like Hashtag the impossible network. Wonder of Whoopi. Um, <laughs> do you feel the need to keep up with technology? And if so, how? 100%. I feel the need to keep up, to be current. Mm -hmm. at not because, as I said, like, not like with Botox or wrestling, but be current so that I don't miss the trends or I need to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I can't understand what's going on if I say I can't do this, I don't know how to do this. So my kids and my assistant lose patience with me sometimes. Well, Sylvie's nicer than the kids. But um, when I say, how do I do this again? How do I do that again? How do I do, like, how do I make the animation on the story and blah, 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 and what is the hashtag? So I try to be current because I want to know. I don't want anyone to have to do it for me. And I also think it's fun. Mm -hmm. So... Was that the what yeah, was the question? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember the question yeah. anymore. But yes, I love to be current. Yeah. But I also don't feel like the need for someone else. It's for me. Uh -huh. Does right. that make yeah, yeah, makes sense. sense? The big question, the impossible question. What would your advice be to someone twenty years old who might have a dream, a goal, a grand ambition, but is being told by people around them that that's impossible? You know that cliche, nothing's impossible. Well, there are there are things that are impossible. There are mm -hmm. things that are impossible to cure. There are things that are impossible if you don't have certain funds, if you don't have confidence. So what I would say to that person, because I don't believe very many things are impossible personally. So what I would say to that person is think of what you want to do and try to do it. But if, if, if there are too many roadblocks or you're not qualified to do it, then come up with a modified version. Like I said before, you want to play professional basketball, but you're five, seven and you're not that good at basketball, then 
come up with a business that you like or some sort of passion that you like, and then try to get yourself season tickets to your favorite team and then maybe floor seats. And then maybe one day you can be part owner of your basketball team and they'll let you shoot hoops with them mm -hmm. on the floor for a little bit because they have to. But um, why not? But I don't think very many things are impossible. I think certain life events are you can't reverse, but I don't think where, where you have a hope or a dream and you're still here that you can't try. Mm -hmm. You have to try. Yeah. If you, if you don't try, everything's impossible. If you do try, hopefully it's not impossible. Good I don't answer. know if that's a good no, enough answer. No, it's a good, good answer, yeah. With the last two questions, what book do you want us to offer the listeners? I think you gave us the book, the one that you yeah. <laughs> that um, that I don't read. Yeah, yeah. that Benny was reading in the plane, and we'll we'll put that in the show notes, and we'll give it to her. who should we interview next? I have so many people that I want you to interview next that I couldn't even choose. Mm -hmm. Like, do you want a female? Do you want them to be famous? Like, just give me some, like we like, want someone that's got a great story that needs to be told like yourself, that've got uh, had a really interesting journey with um, wisdom to impart. I think Mary Lou Henner has an amazing I think story. She, I, okay, I, I would think love to interview Mary she'd Lou She'd be Henner. my, yeah. <laughs> good luck, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> all I have to say is buckle your seatbelts, baby, because <laughs> although her and I on camera, uh -huh. is like I push her out of the way, she pushes me out of the way. Uh -huh. We always want to get a word in. She talks very fast and she has a lot to say. Yeah. And she has great opinions and they're usually asterisk right. Visually, no, I Maybe win. Maybe you have to be part of it. I might have to be yeah, with her. We might have to. Um, we're funny together. We're very funny together. She's amazing. My friend Lisa Lick that I told you, mm -hmm. she's amazing too. I don't know. I have so many people that I think are so amazing. I'm just trying to think. I want to try to get a mail in. I mean, I know it's not very 2019 to throw a mail into anything. Well, but just, just, <laughs> just saying. Yeah. You know who you should interview? Michael Flutie. Do you know who he is? He has a really interesting story. He's fantastic. F-L-U-T-I-E. And that would go full circle with Colby and our agent. Okay. But he has a story. He started a modeling agency when he was young, and then he came here from Egypt. His parents were supposed to work for Bobby mm. Kennedy, and Bobby Kennedy got shot. Mm. I mean, it's like a whole – his whole story is really interesting. Okay. His, that, parent, his family story. All right, so well, he might be an interesting person for you to interview. Well, let's see who's available. Yeah. That's no, great. Mary, well, Mary Lou, Michael, or Lisa would be great. Perfect. Uh, I skipped over, and you may want to come in on this. It's important for us to all carve out space and time to explore our life experiences and what's meaningful and worth our attention and why. You formed Your Mum Cares not too long ago. Obviously, so Your Mum Cares, I'll just give you really quick because I can do this like yeah, my sleep. Well, <laughs> I know okay, we're going yeah. to do a follow-up on that. But yeah, yeah, I'm going to give, give you really quickly. You so the last administration asked us to do a PSA for kids' affordable health care so that all kids could have health insurance. Mm -hmm. So I did it with Alicia Key's mom, Taria Joseph's, and we did it with JLo's mom. And I asked if I could bring my best friend, Patsy Noah, who's Adam Levine's mom. Right. And the four of us did this PSA. We got a million hits like in an hour. President Obama invited us to the White House. We had a meeting at the Roosevelt office. We went into the Oval Office. It was incredible. And that was that. It was called Your Mom Cares. Mm -hmm. I, because of my branding and what I do, called the White House, which was the joke in my family, like Coco, that was my assistant, Coco, get me the White House. And they would answer. We had like a line. And they're Coco, like, hey, Coco Brad Jenkins, the White House. Pre-Silvy. Yeah, pre way, yeah, way, yeah, she way just back. got married. Happy, happy wedding, Coco. Um, so she would be, Coco, get me the White House was our joke. So they'd get me the White House. And we had like this direct contact with the White House. And it was Brad Jenkins, who's now working with us as well a little bit. And we said, I said, can I, can I have the name? Your mom cares. I want to own it. I want to brand it. Mm -hmm. Because you can't do anything with it. You need to be a famous person or an influencer's mother. So what are you going to do? You're neither. 
the, you know, the White House doesn't eat it, so they gave it to us. So we, I trademarked it. Uh-huh. And Unlike the sparkle fun. Right, which I could <laughs> I trademark anything I can trademark right now. So I trademark Your Mom Cares, and about a year ago, we created this charity, Patsy and I. We co-founded a charity, which is why you see me wearing this hashtag, Your Mom Cares. And I'm going to tease the KISS campaign, which is going to be May 10th for Kids Mental Wellness. There okay, you go. Yeah. Zoom in. Um, and it is um, for kids' mental wellness. Uh-huh. We're changing the um, dialogue from mental illness to mental wellness. So our hashtag is mental wellness. That's a good move. Uh, yeah, it's really great. And I mean, not that I'm bragging. It's like it needs no, to be it... done. So kids' mental health. Kids are more anxious, more depressed than they've ever been. Uh, the border kids are going to have post-traumatic stress. And the depression leads to suicide and even worse, which is shootings in our schools. So we're an epidemic now. And you go to a pediatrician, they check your ears, your eyes, your this, your that. They don't say, how are you? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to address the how are you. We're going to be the voices for these kids. I just did an amazing photo session in London, which I can tell you about if you want to yeah. get me back for your mom cares mm-hmm. with these amazing kids that I'd be happy to give you pictures of. Um, but we started this and we're very famous people or very influential people's moms banding together for kids' mental health. Brilliant. And we have a campaign coming out, and all we do is work um, to get the stigma taken away, awareness, and funds. And we're developing an app that will diagnose anxiety, which leads to depression, which leads to worse. Oh, interesting. So we've been funding that app. All right. So we'll... Arrange a time point. Well, that's all part of the. That's all part of. Yeah, you know, actually, my my thought was so if anyone is listening from Apple, or any kind of smartphone, I think they should fund this because yes. as wonderful as social mm-hmm. media and your smartphones are, it's like the tobacco company. There are parts of what you're doing that is mm-hmm. dangerous to our kids, yeah. and if you want to help fund this app, we'd be very grateful. I've got a friend working on podcast uh, design uh, at Apple. I'll contact yeah. him and be get amazing. him to uh, speak the right. People. I think the first one that gives us money mm. will 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 be doing the right thing and look like mm. a hero. It honestly, well, I think I mean Apple are taking the high ground anyway, and Tim Cook yeah, and, and I'm, all their I'm so all about I'm all about that. I mean, we did yeah. a photo shoot in London, and I actually was going to email some friends of mine. Um, Starbucks was so incredible to us. I mean, they were amazing, and I. Uh, one of my friends is mm. is Starbucks, and mm. I want to write to them and say how how appreciative we were because these companies, I know they give grants, and I know how they have their all their. I mean, I know how this works now. They have their own funds, and you have to go through this, and you have to go through that. But like, let's just tell a story yeah. and have someone listen to the story, and then have them help. It's pretty well, simple. Like you say, it's epidemic proportions, it's and it's epidemic. damaging. So it's something else frightening. Before we wrap up, uh, Sharon, uh, is there anything else you would like to discuss or? I could talk to you all day long about any parts of my career, but the only thing I want to wrap up Mm -hmm. in saying is that for me personally, my family and my children and my grandchildren and my best friends, and they're my everything and they're all that matter in my life. And everything I do, I do for them or for their future or, or, and any person that I, if you ask me, who do I want to be with? Like if I could be with anyone, obviously excluding Whoopi, because we know I love her <laughs> if, and super fun people and, you know, all those fun people, I would spend every second with my children and grandchildren and and best friends. And meeting people like you is the icing on the cake, but they're the cake. That's lovely. Aww. 
never been called the icing on the cake, but there you go. That's a nice that way to wrap up. Lenny. I would just. I'm do... very touched. <laughs> could I? Could I... So, hold so on, hold on. Can I wrap up, please? <laughs> can I wrap up, please? Oh, <laughs> I just have to say thank you. So, Sharon, I'd just like to thank you very much for your time, but also for the honesty, the vulnerability, the char- your charitable nature, the fact that you inject humour into a podcast that hasn't and many times hasn't been that humorous and it's been a joy to have you here and I recognize if recognize you for your relentlessness your work (laughs) ethic and your inspiration to other people and the fact that you just keep going and I really look forward to any follow-up we do with your mum cares and please follow up yeah and thank the sparkle in the necklace and and the what the sparkles in the necklace. The sparkles in the <laughs> necklace, exactly. So thank you again. I don't know what that means. Okay. Uh, no, 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 I'll just go with it. But Elaine, okay. Elaine said it, so it must mean something. Well, it's pink and hot and you know, <laughs> like, like a fountain. All right, well, thank you very much. Thank and, you for having me. Um, safe travels back to LA whenever you're going. Going Wednesday. Okay. Okay, folks, that's it for this week. Just go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you listen to subscribe and rate. And if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating as it helps more people discover us. If you want to learn more or have someone you'd like us to interview, just visit us at theimpossiblenetwork.com or DM us on Instagram at theimpossiblenetwork. For now, be curious, be creative, and be open to serendipity. See you next time.